Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Today, as you've heard, starts off our 2019 week of prayer. And so starting today, going through next Thursday night, we as a church are giving ourselves to prayer. We're devoting extra time, carving out extra time. We're going to pray as much as we can. Now, we still have our jobs going on. We still have laundry to do and meals to prepare and houses to clean and everything else that's going on, but we want to pray as much as we can individually and together with others this next week. Now, why are we having a week of prayer? Why would we call the church at the beginning of 2019 to, to devote ourselves to prayer? There's two reasons why. One reason is because God calls his people regularly to gather together to pray. It's because God calls us. That's one reason. And the second reason is because when we obey God's call and gather together to pray, God works. God moves. God pours out his spirit. God does mighty things. So the first reason is because God calls us to, and the second reason is because when we do, he works. Now let me give you an illustration of that. This is from something that happened in the U.S. in the late 1800s. The late 1800s, United States, spiritual life, the life of the church, was at a low ebb. Believers, for the most part, were lukewarm. Sin was growing in their hearts. Church attendance was flatlined or declining. There was little evangelism going on, few, if any, conversions taking place. The church was just blah, bored, lukewarm, and complacent. But God raised up a man named Jeremiah Lanfear, businessman, and stirred him to start a prayer meeting in downtown New York City one day a week from 12 to 1 at his church. And so he made posters and leaflets and started passing them out, handing them out, pasting them up, all kind of, just letting people know about this prayer meeting. And so the day of the prayer meeting, he was there at 12 noon, and it was just him. And he started to pray. But 10, 15, 20 minutes, one person, two people. At the end of the hour, six more guys had come. So there were seven of them praying together at the end of that first day of, of prayer. Now, over the next four weeks, those seven grew to about 100 people that were there once a week praying. And so they decided, let's start praying every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every weekday for one hour at this church. And so they were praying. God was stirring their hearts. God was pouring out his, his spirit upon them. Their numbers grew until they filled up that church. So they started a second location at another church, filled up that church, a third location at another church. After a few months, every church in New York City, downtown New York City, and every public hall was filled from 12 to 1 every day of the week with believers crying out to God, pour out your spirit upon us, forgive us for our sin, revive us, save the lost, give us boldness, come and work. So prayer is going on every noonday, Monday through Friday. Then they added evening prayer. So noon and evening. And the word spread about all these prayer meetings that are happening in New York City. So prayer meetings started to spread westward in the U.S. all the way through to Chicago. There's prayer meetings cropping up westward and eastward across the Atlantic into the U.K. Prayer meetings started cropping up, and so there were thousands of believers united together, crying out to God, stir us, forgive us for our sins, pour out your spirit upon us, 
We're sorry we've been so lukewarm. We want you. We need you. Move in our midst again. Save the lost. Glorify Christ. Do a mighty work. And church historians estimate that this this took place over years, that over those years, 10,000, make sure I get this right here. Yes. 10,000 people every week in New York were repenting and putting their trust in Christ. And that over this couple of years period, approximately one million people in the U.S. came to faith in Christ, and one million in the U.K. came to faith in Christ, and 20,000 believers decided to become full-time missionaries. This was from a time when the church was stagnant and dull and complacent, and God's people gathered together to pray, and when God's people gather together to pray, God moves. Now that's why we are having a week of prayer. We want to be obedient to the Lord and take special time to come together and pray, because when we do, God is going to work. And that's what I want us to see this morning from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. In this passage, the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray, and he teaches them to pray. Let's read these verses. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he, Jesus, said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Amazing passage. Powerful teaching on prayer. So Jesus here is teaching His disciples to pray, and the first question He answers for them is, what should we pray about? What requests should we bring before the Lord? What should we pray for? And look at Jesus' answer again in verses 2 through 4. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives, as he's preaching to crowds, he gives those crowds a longer version of this prayer, which is called the Lord's Prayer. You're familiar with that, right? But here when Jesus is talking to his disciples in private, he gives them a, a shorter version. And in this shorter version, he urges them and would urge us to pray especially about five requests. So let's take note of these because I want to call us to focus on these five requests as we move into this week of prayer together. Five requests. First, Jesus calls us to pray Hallowed be your name. Now, what does that mean? It means we're asking God to, to hallow, to display the glory of, to set apart, to exalt your name, to show us your glory, display your majesty, dazzle Abu Dhabi with your beauty and glory. That's what we're asking God to do. And so, to pray this, this week, we might pray, Father, Hallowed be your name. Glorify your name in my life. Let my life glorify you more. Father, let my life, let my family glorify you more. Let your name be hallowed in my marriage. The way I love my wife, the way I love my husband. Lord, let, let your name be hallowed in my workplace. Let me shine with your glory there. Father, let, let your name be praise, let your glory be displayed in and through Grace Church. Hallowed be your name. Father, let your name be lifted up, exalted. The name of your son, Jesus, be praised in Abu Dhabi. Let that come. That's what we're praying. When we come together or individually and say, Father, hallowed be your name, we're saying glorify your name. Give praise to your name. Exalt your name. And the reason we long to pray that God will hallow his name is because our greatest joy, the greatest joy of any human being is to see God's glory displayed. When you see God's glory displayed in saving lost people, purifying his church, helping someone love their enemy, planting churches, people worshiping, when you see God's glory displayed, that's when our joy is the greatest as human beings, and that's why we pray, hallowed be your name. That's the first request. So church, pray that this week. Second, Jesus calls us to pray, your kingdom come. Now, God's kingdom is his, his power. It's his power. So we're asking him, Lord, pour out your power, pour out your kingdom power to convict lost people of their sin, that they would see that there is a God and that they've sinned against God. Help them see that they need a Savior, so convict them of sin Lord, by your power, change their hearts, subdue rebellious wills so that they would repent before Jesus and put their trust in Jesus. God, we pray that you would save, that you would convict, that you would 
revive your church, that you'd empower your church, that you'd pour out your spirit upon your church. That's all that we're praying when we pray, let your kingdom come. So this week as we pray individually, as we gather together to pray, let's pray, Father, let your kingdom come. Save my neighbors, save my work associates, save people here in Abu Dhabi. Lord, convict me of sin by the power of your kingdom. Lord, convict here at Grace Church, convict us of sin. Lord, Lord, cleanse our church from sin, we pray. Not that we become sinless, we can't this side of heaven, but Lord, bring us to repentance for every sin we know about in this church. Let us be a repentant and a broken and a surrendered and a forgiven and a loved people. Lord, do that. Fill us with your presence. Pour out your spirit upon us. Pour out your gifts upon us. We want to be praying those things as we pray, your kingdom come. Okay, third, a little different direction. Jesus wants us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. See, God loves to provide for his children. He loves to provide jobs and finances. It doesn't mean we're going to get rich. It just simply means that he will give you every Durham you need in order to fulfill his call on your life and in order to give you the greatest joy possible in him. He will do that. He promises to do that. And so we should pray, give us each day our daily bread. Ask God, Lord, provide for us. So this might mean you pray, Father, provide for me a job if you don't have a job yet. Pray for that this week. Fast and seek God. Cry out to God, I need a job. Provide me a job or I need a better job. And if some of you are praying for jobs that have better hours, pray for that. Or Lord, protect the job that I have. Pray for that. Don't, don't take that for granted. God, protect me from unexpected expenses. I, I had a root canal done this week. And uh, the dentist said, well, it's, it's, you've already got a crown on that tooth. I'm going to try to drill right through the crown so you don't need to destroy the crown and cause you extra expenses. I thought, that sounds like a really good idea. So while he was drilling, I was praying, okay? And my crown's fine. It's in there. So God, thank you, Lord. But ask God, Lord, keep us from unexpected expenses. And Lord, Lord, provide the income that we need to fulfill your call in our lives and to have the greatest joy possible in you. Give us each day our daily bread. Pray for that. Fourth, Jesus wants us to pray, forgive us our sins. Mm. The, the, the best news in, in the world is that you can be forgiven by God, your creator, for all of your sins. It just doesn't get any better than that, does it? Just while you're singing this morning in worship, nothing can separate us from his love because through Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're, we're forgiven, church. Now, why then do we need to ask God to forgive our sins? Let me mention two reasons why. One is because we are not sinless until heaven. Right? I always like to say, if, if you're not sure about that, ask your wife, okay? She'll, she'll point that out. All right? None of us are sinless until heaven. Every day, to our shame and to our grief, we sin here. And see, what happens is when you sin, it's like, before you sin, there's the sunshine of God's love just shining down on you, and you're feeling the warmth of his love. But sin is like a cloud that comes over. Remember, have you ever been that, in there in the sun? All of a sudden, what happened? Oh, there's a cloud there, right? Have you felt that? When we sin, our sin is like a cloud that comes over, and we don't, I mean, God still loves us, but we don't feel it. We don't experience his nearness, his closeness. But when we confess our sin before the Lord, 
Father, forgive me. Look at what I've done. Look at the attitude I've had. Look at what I said or look at what I did not say. Father, forgive me. Through Jesus, that cloud is blown away by the, by the wind of the Holy Spirit and the sunshine is back and you're renewed. That's one reason we need to ask God to forgive our sins. Move the clouds away so the sunshine of your love is there. A second reason we need to pray forgive us our sins is because if we don't confess our sins, if we are involved in no sin that we know about and we don't deal with it, we just continue in it and don't confess it, that will quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. That's a frightening thought. You do not want to quench the work of the Spirit in your life. That'll quench the work of the Spirit in your own life, and it'll quench the work of the Spirit in Grace Church. It'll affect your brothers and sisters. So we want to be a people who are saying, forgive us our sins. As the Holy Spirit makes known to you an area of sin, we want to be quick to repent and to confess that sin. And the moment we turn and say, look at this sin, I'm sorry, forgive me, God's running toward us, just like the prodigal son story, he's running toward us with everything we need. My son's back, my daughter's back, let's have a party. The sun shines there, see how that works? The Spirit's work is no longer quenched. Pour out the Holy Spirit afresh. So we need to pray. Forgive us our sins. So that might mean praying, God, show me my sin. Show me my sin. Forgive us for our sins. Strengthen us not to sin. Cleanse us from sin. Give us power over sin. That's all involved in praying, forgive us our sins. Then fifth, Jesus wants us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Now, some of you have probably heard that the Pope wants to change that translation. And I understand his intention. I'm not sure that it's necessary to change the translation. As long as we understand what we are saying by that and what we are not saying by that. The Bible is very clear. The book of James chapter 1 is one place. God does not lead us into temptation in the sense that he's like pushing us ahead, hoping we're going to sin. Why? Oh, I hope they sin with this one. God never does that. Are we clear? God never does. He didn't sound all that confident. God never does that. But what we do pray when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're saying, God, protect me from any temptations that I would not have the power to resist apart from your grace. Protect me from any temptations that I, with your grace, cannot overcome. Protect me, Lord. And then we're also meaning, God, strengthen my heart. Pour out your grace upon me so that I can resist every temptation that you do allow me to face. We need to pray for that. That's what we're praying. Lead us not into temptation. So we should individually and together this week pray, labor in prayer. Father, keep me from Satan's temptations. Keep us as a church from temptation. Strengthen our hearts against sin. Cause us to do your will. Increase our obedience. We want to be totally surrendered, totally sold out to you, Lord. Pour that out upon us, we pray. That's what we're praying when we pray, lead us not into temptation. So that's five requests we're to pray for. So you got, that's our agenda for this week. You got that? Powerful requests, right? These are huge. God, Magnify your name, hallow your name. Let your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread. I mixed up the order. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. That's the fourth one. Lead us not into temptation. So big requests we're going to be praying this week. That's what we are to pray for. Now, how should we pray for those things? 
How should we pray? That's what Jesus answers next. And look at what he says in verses 5 through 8. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. We all know Middle East culture, hospitality is a very high value, right? If a friend comes or somebody comes and knocks on your door, you have an obligation to bring, welcome them in and to feed them and to care for them. That's hospitality. Middle East culture, it's a beautiful thing. So Jesus wants you to imagine that you have a friend who comes from a, a journey, shows up unexpectedly at midnight, and you have no food for him, and you have an obligation to feed him and to provide for him. And so you do what any Middle Easterner would do. You go to your neighbor. Midnight. Hello. Hello. I, I know it's late. I'm sorry. I've, I've got a, a friend. who He's come unexpectedly. I wouldn't be here normally, but he come unexpectedly, and I don't have any food. Can you give me some food to, to give to my friend? So you're, you're knocking on the door, and you're asking, and he says, no, I'm not going to. It's late. We're sleeping. Go back to bed. But you keep knocking. Excuse me. I have a friend. You may not have understood. I need food, okay? I need to take care of him. What finally happens? Jesus explains in verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus wants us to pray with impudence, which I think is better translated persistence. Many translations use persistence as the word. The reason this person's going to get up is because you keep knocking. You just keep knocking. He's not going to sleep anyway. Might as well get up. Get you the loaves, right? Jesus here is calling us to pray persistently. Persistently. Now, why must we pray persistently? It's not because God needs the help of our prayers, like somehow God isn't quite strong enough to do it. He needs his people. You all pray and send me some positive thoughts, and then I'll have more power to do it. No. God doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need anything from us. He can do whatever he chooses to do, just like that, because he is God. He doesn't need our prayers. So why then would God call us to pray persistently? Why would there be times when God is going to do something, but he chooses not to do it the first time we pray, not the second time we pray, third, fourth, fifth? Why would there be times when God's going to do something, but he chooses to not answer yet so that we will first pray persistently? Why would God do that? It's because he loves us and knows that persistent prayer will bring us great joy in him. This is how it works. 
Here's a couple ways that persistent prayer brings us joy. I thought of three ways, and it's really just kind of three ways of saying the same thing the more I thought about this. But one is because more time in prayer, more time on your knees, more time just standing before the Lord, more time praying about this thing means more time trusting Him. And the more you trust Him, the more joy you're going to have in Him. It also means more fellowship with Him more relationship with God, more talking to your Father, more beholding His beauty, more enjoying His presence, that's going to give you more joy in Him. It also means that more prayer means more dependence upon Him. I'm depending upon Him today. I'm depending upon Him tomorrow. Next week, next month, next year, I'm depending upon Him. So the reason that God has times where He's going to answer your prayer but not yet, He wants you to persist in prayer, and the reason he wants you to persist in prayer is because that will bring you even more joy than you would have had had you not answered, had he he answered earlier. That'll bring you more joy than you would have had had he answered more immediately. Now, this is different from what, what I've heard some people teach, and I'll just encourage you to search the scriptures on this question, but I've heard people teach that if you really had faith the first time you prayed you wouldn't need to pray a second time because you'd believe that God was going to do it. And if you do pray a second time, then it shows you don't have much faith. That's not what Jesus is saying here. See that? you, You look at the Scriptures, decide, you make up your own mind, but what Jesus is saying here is that we must pray persistently. Not a matter of not believing. It's just that this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to labor in prayer. He wants us to keep knocking because that's going to bring us even more joy in him. There's a young man at, at our church in the U.S. where I was, used to pastor before coming here named Doug, and uh, he told me about his grandmother. I love the story. So his grandmother, I think, had around 13 grandchildren, and as they were born, she wrote their names down on a little card. This was her prayer card, and every day she prayed for her grandchildren to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And God did not answer her prayers immediately. She was praying for weeks, months, years, years she prayed. But every time she heard that one of her grandchildren had come to faith, she made a little note next to that grandchild's name, laboring in prayer for the rest, laboring in prayer. She prayed tens, hundreds, thousands of times for these grandchildren. All but one, and then finally the last one she heard about. And can you feel the joy she would have felt that moment? Years of faithful seeking God's face for the salvation of her grandchildren. And then finally the last one putting his or her trust in Christ. And then after that last one, God took her home. Her work was done. See that works? She kept knocking. She just kept knocking. She kept knocking. That's how Jesus wants us praying. So get this picture in your mind. You're there and you're knocking. And you're saying, Father, I'm I'm not going to stop knocking until your name is hallowed in the United Arab Emirates. I'm not going to stop. Hallowed be your name here. It's a dark place. Bring glory to Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to stop until you hallow your name here in the UAE. Do you feel that? That's what Jesus is envisioning here. Or I'm not going to stop praying 
until you pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. I need more of your love poured into my heart. I need more boldness. I need more power in overcoming sin. Pour out your spirit upon me. I long for you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep knocking until you pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. This is what Jesus is calling us to do here. Or, Lord, I'm not going to stop knocking until you pour out your spirit upon Grace Church. Lord, thank you for what you've done in Grace Church. But, oh, Lord, there's more. We read the scriptures. We read the book of Acts. There's more. We want people coming to faith every day through Grace Church. Lord, pour out your spirit upon Grace Church. I'm not going to go away until you answer this. You've promised. You've told us to pray this. Do this, Lord. I'm not going to stop until you give me more power over sin. I'm not going to stop until you use me to lead people to faith in Christ. We're knocking, asking, seeking, knocking. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Persistent prayer. And when we're praying that way, I'm not, I'm not going away. I'm not going to stop. I'm back the next day. I'm back the next week. I'm back the next year. I'm back the next decade. And the Father is smiling. He loves it when his people are going hard after him for things he has called us to pray for. Because it shows our holy desperation and our confidence that he's going to do it because we're going to keep praying. That's what he calls us to do. Pray persistently. Now, third question that Jesus answers in this passage. What will happen when we pray persistently? What will God do? Verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now those words ask, seek, and knock are all in the the present tense in, in, in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in. And in the Greek language, the present tense can have the idea of ongoing action, like keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And that's how I think this should be understood here. So what does Jesus promise will happen when we keep asking? It will be given to us. What does he promise will happen when we keep seeking? We will find. What does he promise will happen when we keep knocking? The door is going to open up. It will open. It will be given to us. We will find, and the door will be open. And just in case we missed the point up to that one, look at verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives. Do you see that? Underline that word, everyone. Everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, verse 10 is a promise that I often, and I would encourage you to do this, I quote to myself when I'm, I want to take some time to pray, but I'm feeling dull and far from God and lacking faith, and I'll just say, Steve, Jesus promised, everyone who asks, receives. It just just helps me, strengthens my faith. I would really encourage you, you to do that. Now, does this mean that if I pray persistently, I will certainly receive? Uh, Yes. That's what he said, right? You can see that. It's just 
as plain as day, yes. Let me mention one other condition, though, that he doesn't mention here, but he does mention in, in John's gospel, and that is we must pray in Jesus' name. This is really important to understand. For some of you, this might be, might be news. If you're not a, a follower of Jesus yet, this is really important for you to see the big picture of what Jesus is promising here. See, the problem is we've all sinned against God. God is holy and beautiful and glorious and loving and full of joy in his perfections. He's perfect. And God cannot receive prayer from sinful people, people who, who are guilty in sin because of our sin. And so our sin disqualifies us from bringing our prayers to God. But the good news is that God loves us, has compassion for us, cares for us, so much so that he sent Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, born of a baby, grew up, worked miracles, taught, went to the cross, and on the cross, God the Father, with a broken heart, punished all the sins of all those who had put their trust in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he was being punished for all the sins of those who had repented of their sins and trust Jesus as Savior, Lord, and treasure. And so because you're trusting Jesus Christ, you're completely forgiven for all your sins. And so we pray in Jesus' name, which isn't just three words we tack on to the end of our prayer, like this is what all Christians do, but we need to not just have those be words we say, but reality we understand and feel and experience. That I'm praying now in Jesus' name. I'm not coming to you, Father, in Steve Fuller's name. I would be disqualified in who I am in myself. But I'm coming to you now in Jesus' name, the one who paid for all my sins through the cross, the one whose perfect righteousness is covering me, I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. And whenever you pray in Jesus' name, the Father's arms are open wide. He says, come on, what do, you, what do you need? Tell me what's on your heart. So two conditions. Pray persistently and pray in Jesus' name. And when we pray persistently in Jesus' name, we will always, always, always receive. Now, some of you might be wondering at this point, what about Paul in 2 Corinthians where he describes his thorn in the flesh? You know that passage? And he prays persistently three times in Jesus' name for God to take away this thorn in the flesh, some kind of an affliction from Satan. He asked God three times, take this away. And God has infinitely more power than Satan. God could have taken it away easily. But instead, God comes to Paul and says, I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to allow this thorn in the flesh to continue. Now, how then can Jesus say that everyone who asks receives? I think Jesus answers that in verses 11 through 13. Let's start with verses 11 and 12. Look at what he says. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, so the son's hungry, right? He wants fish to eat. You wouldn't give him a poisonous serpent. Son's hungry, asks for an egg. You wouldn't give him a, a scorpion. Okay, so fathers, just get real here, all right? Your son's hungry, right? He wants a 
wants a fish? Are you going to give him a poisonous snake? It's impossible, right? Your son's hungry, wants an egg. You're going to give him a scorpion to eat? It's absurd. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely impossible. Right, fathers? <laughs> fathers, the answer is right. Okay, this, all right. You would not do that. So the point is that God will never give you something less than what you ask for. You ask for a fish, He's going to give you a fish or something better. I'm not going to give you something less. Ask for an egg, he's going to give you an egg or, or something better. Never something less. See, God loves you and he cares for you. As much as us fathers love and care for our children, God's love for us is infinitely greater than the love that fathers and mothers have for their children. And so when you go to God and you pray persistently and you pray in Jesus' name, he will always either give you, you'll always receive, one of two things, either exactly what you're asking for or something even better. Something even better. E even better like how? Even better like what does that mean? And I think Jesus tells us in verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, so why start talking about the Holy Spirit? Where's that been in the passage? Well, it's been all through the passage. Here's why Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most amazing, wonderful, best gift God could ever give you. Because what the Holy Spirit does is make the presence of God the Father, the reality of Jesus the Son, real to us in a felt way. And when you experience God's love poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit, so you don't just, you're not just knowing that God loves you as important as that is, but you're feeling the very love of God for you. When God pours his love into your heart, when you behold and experience the glory of Jesus Christ, your heart is so full that you don't need anything else. You are, you're good. You are free. You are filled. You have all that you need when you have God. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what God did with Paul and his thorn in the flesh was allow the thorn in the flesh to continue because through Paul's experience of the thorn in the flesh, God was going to give Paul an even greater experience of the Holy Spirit, even more of God's grace poured into his heart, even more nearness with Jesus that Paul would experience. So Paul responds to that and says, I will therefore gladly boast in my difficulties because when I'm weak with trials and God pours out his Holy Spirit upon me and makes Jesus real to me, I am strong. So I'll, I'll boast in my thorn in the flesh or whatever other afflictions I have because God is meeting me so powerfully. So that's to illustrate what Jesus is teaching in this passage. And that is that when we pray persistently in Jesus' name, we will always receive more than we would have had we not asked. And one of, it'll be one of two ways. We will always receive either exactly what we're asking for, which God does often, or it'll be something even better than what we were asking for, which will give us even more joy in God. Now, it may take some humbling of ourselves before God to admit that it's better than what we were asking for. 
Did you hear what I just said? This is really important. It may take some humbling of ourselves before God to admit that it's better than what we're asking for. As you read the Bible, God allows his people to go through some deep waters, right? Let's not play games, church. Read Job 1 and 2. Read Paul about Paul's life. Read about our Savior. God calls his people to go through some deep waters. But understand, the Bible never says that the more you love God, the fewer trials you'll have. Never says that. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why would you bless the name of the Lord who takes away? It's because he only takes away when he's going to give you more. It's like he, he takes away a five Durham note because he's going to give you a million Durham note. That's what he does when he takes away because of what he's going to give in the Holy Spirit, in joy in him. So you will always receive either exactly what you're asking for or something even better, which will give you more joy in him, which you probably would not have received had you not asked. So that's Jesus' teaching about prayer. Now, what does this mean for us? Let me give you two takeaways. First, understand all that you can have in Jesus Christ. Some of you, are, I would assume, are not yet trusting Jesus Christ. And I just want you to get a feel for what, what we see in this passage about what you could have in Jesus Christ. Do you see what we've just read about? Forgiveness for all your sins. So you never need to fear any punishment from God, not because of how good you've been, but because of Jesus paying for your sins on the cross and the gift of the Spirit, which is making you less and less sinful. But that's that's not why you're forgiven. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. The, the amazing joy of standing before God knowing that you're going to face him at the end of your life in judgment and that you're forgiven. No judgment. No condemnation. Complete forgiveness for all your sins. This could be yours in Christ. Not only that, the gift of the Holy Spirit who will so satisfy your heart now far more than you could be satisfied with anything else that the world has to offer. Oh, to know God's love poured into your heart, to have the joy of fellowship with God through Jesus, to behold Jesus in his beauty and his glory and his majesty will fill you to overflowing with joy. That's the joy you were created for. So you can be forgiven for your sins, you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit making God's love real to you, and you can have a God who answers prayer. This can be yours in Christ. So are you trusting him? Are you trusting Jesus? Have you, have you turned from your sin, repented of your sin, and put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, as your all-satisfying treasure? If not, don't delay. Trust him today. Trust him right now. You could leave here transformed. So first takeaway, understand all that you can have in Jesus Christ. And then second, understand why we should pray. Why should we pray? I would guess some of you have grappled with you thinking that prayer is a waste of time because God hasn't answered yet that you're thinking prayer doesn't do anything. I plead with you, take heed to this passage. Yes, you're still knocking, but God said, persist, persist. So it's totally wrong to conclude because God hasn't answered prayer doesn't do anything. Do you see how wrong that is? 
God says, keep asking, it'll be given to you. Keep seeking, you will find. Keep knocking, the door will be open to you. It will happen. So don't be discouraged about needing to persist in prayer. So the reason we should pray is that when we pray persistently in Jesus' name, we will always, always, always receive more than had we not prayed. We will always. Sometimes we pray for things we aren't sure whether it's God's will or not, right? Lots of the time. You're praying to get this job. Well, you aren't sure if it's God's will that you get this job, or you're praying that, that you get married. Well, you're not sure if it's God's will that you get married. Okay? There's times where we pray for things that we really long for that we aren't sure if it's, if it's God's will. But at those times when you pray persistently in Jesus' name, you can be 100% sure that God is either going to give you exactly what you're asking for, that job, or something even better, which will give you even more joy in Him, and which you probably would not have received had you not prayed. So the only way you can lose in this thing is by not praying. Not praying. You see that? So that's for times when you aren't sure if something's God's will or not. Pray about those things. Pray about those things. But there are other times when we pray about things that we are sure are God's will. God has said He will hallow His name. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the Old Testament prophets say. It will happen. But God has chosen to use His people to pray to stir him to do what he's already decided to do. There's mystery there, but we get a part in this. And so there's times when we are called to pray for things that we already know are God's will. And when we do that, we can be absolutely confident that God's going to do what we're praying for because we know it's God's will. He will give us those things in his time, in his perfect time, in his perfect way. So let me give you some examples of what can happen this next week as we join together to pray. As we pray persistently in Jesus' name for God's name to be hallowed in Jesus Christ here in Abu Dhabi, as we pray persistently, we're not going anywhere. We want this. We long for this. We want your name to be hallowed. We want Jesus Christ to be praised and magnified and exalted. We want thousands to turn to Christ and trust him. As we pray for God's name to be hallowed here in Abu Dhabi, God's name will be more hallowed, more exalted, more glorified in Abu Dhabi than had we not prayed. As we pray persistently for God's kingdom to come, for God to pour out His Spirit and convict lost people of sin, turn hearts to Christ, save people. As we do that, more of God's kingdom will come, more of God's saving power will be here in Abu Dhabi than had we not prayed. Our prayers this week, because of God's mercy, are going to make a difference in the spiritual climate of Abu Dhabi. As we pray persistently that we not fall into temptation, persistently, God, Break the power of sin in me. Give me grace to, to fight these temptations that come, Lord. Keep grace, church, from sin. Purify your body, Lord, we pray. Purify your bride. Come and work. There will be more power over sin that you will experience and that we will experience than had we not prayed. As we pray persistently that God pour his spirit out upon grace, church, 
Lord, convict us of sin. Stir up our affections for you. Fill us with love for Christ. Set us free from lukewarmness, Lord. Give us boldness for witness. As we pray, God, pour out your spirit upon Grace Church. There will be more of God's spirit poured out upon Grace Church than had we not prayed. God calls his people to gather together to pray. And when God's people gather together to pray, God works. That's why we're having a week of prayer. That's why we're calling as many as who can to fast and pray tomorrow. That's why we're calling those who can, whether you're fasting and praying or not, to be here from 3 to 6 tomorrow and to take advantage of the small group prayer meetings that are happening through the week because as we come together and call upon God to work, let your name be hallowed here. Let your kingdom come here. Give us each day our daily bread, Lord, we pray. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. As we come together and pray, God will move. Let's pray together. God, I ask for your power to work through this passage and destroy whatever lies or misconceptions or misunderstandings we've had about prayer. And that you would use this passage right now in our hearts to, to move us to a whole new level of prayer here at Grace Church. That our individual prayer lives would be transformed by this passage and this coming week. And that our prayer life as a church would be transformed through this passage and as we pray this coming week. I pray, Lord, for any here who are not yet trusting Jesus, that they would see in this passage all that they can have in Christ, all their sins forgiven, the gift of the Holy Spirit filling them with your love, and to know a God who answers prayer. Lord, I pray that today, right now, they would turn from their sin, repent of their sin, trust Jesus, receive all that you have for them. So pour out your spirit, Lord, we pray. Help us to pray, we ask. In Jesus' name.